0: their wisdom, and the things they've learned along the way. My guest today is Bart Rupert, and his story is sure to leave you believing that you can achieve anything you set your mind to. Bart grew up in poverty, and it was this that gave him the determination to get a good education so he could achieve his goals. This attitude started at a very young age as he set up his very first company at the age of just 11. He's now a phenomenally successful entrepreneur and he helps other people buy and sell companies. But we're talking deals that are resulting in his clients making multi million dollars without them having to spend a cent of their own money. Particularly interesting for people like me. His CV spans, well, industries including software, oil, real estate, and includes plenty of references to the millions he's managed. To make for various companies along the way. That is a pretty impressive CV. No pressure, Bart, but welcome to the Sandro Forte Podcast and thank you in anticipation for sharing so many pearls of wisdom, your experience and expertise to the very, very many or tens of tens of thousands of people out there listening. So welcome to the Sandro Forte Podcast.
1: Sandro, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here and I'm not sure what to do with an introduction like that. There's nowhere to go but down.
0: <laughs> ah, Well, I've, I know all about you, Bart, so I know you're going to justify it quite easily. Um, it is, as I said, a very, very impressive CV. Uh, we are speaking to each other today from across the pond, so all the usual caveats around sound quality and so on apply, of course, but we could not allow another week to pass on the Sandro Forte podcast without speaking to the great man himself because it is quite a CV. So let's just dive straight in. I'm particularly interested, uh, we normally start by asking people to talk about that background, but you have a a particularly interesting one because, well, as I mentioned in the introduction, you, you grew up in poverty and yet your determination and will to succeed has seen you achieve some incredible things. So let's start with that upbringing and what it was about having nothing that has given you that strength and that determination to succeed uh, so incredibly well uh, since that time? Sure. So my theory on that in general
1: is that you grow up loving what you lack. And so the things that you don't have surrounding you in childhood become instrumental and definitional to who you are as a person later on. And for us, it was very apparent to me that this thing called money was a real problem in my family. So ultimately, we did not have enough money to uh, to really stay in a place to live very long. We kept moving around. We didn't have enough money for food, we certainly didn't have enough money for clothes. And that wasn't something that was a big deal when I was a child because I, I didn't really know any better. But as soon as you get into school and you find out, hey, that person actually has jeans that go like beyond their needs, right? They actually fit them pro- properly. and. And they have shoes that don't have, you know, duct tape all over them because of all the holes. And people start commenting on that. You get an outside perspective that allows you to see, oh, gosh, maybe I don't have as much as, as what I thought. And it, it doesn't really impact your happiness until you start to become aware of it. And then there become some more real problems around it, like you're, you're not really getting enough food to eat. I remember one time I was doing homework uh, by candlelight because I'd come home and the lights were off. And this happened quite a bit. You'd come home, the lights are off. There was no electricity in the house because we couldn't pay the bill. And I remember one time I was actually sitting there doing my homework by candlelight. And my mother had come home and she looked around. She goes, why you don't have the lights on? And I said, oh, well, the, they cut off the electricity again. She's like, no, I paid the bill. I'm like, I'm telling you, the electricity's off because I threw the switch for the main light and nothing happened. So she threw the switch and sure enough, nothing came on. She went over to another lamp and turned it on and it, it turned on. And so I'm sitting there going, oh man, so you're telling me that that bulb burned out, but I'm so conditioned to not having anything, you know, to where we can even have lights that that was just my automatic assumption. And there was a trigger point somewhere in there to, to really allow me to think, wow, something's wrong here. And it's not even so much what you see that's, that's wrong in your own life, because I think everybody can get comfortable with just about anything going on. It's like the frog in the pot. When things come to a boil you don't really notice it because it takes place over time but i remember where it really hit hard for me and i understood just how how destitute we were uh there was a moment where my brother and i were both children and my mother came up with this idea we didn't know why at the time she said guys let's have a garage sale and it would be fantastic. You can sell all your old toys. We can get some money. We can do some stuff. And we really weren't that into it. I mean, it sounded like, you know, it sounded like something that was just kind of a pain and getting rid of stuff that we didn't have a lot of anyway. But she really pitched the idea and sold it to us. And we thought, well, all right, we could buy some new stuff by selling the old stuff. So we went through this garage sale and we ended up selling a ton of stuff and making, you know, like a hundred and something bucks or whatever, and. We, we After we saw that, because it was more money than we'd ever seen, uh, my brother and I were like, hey, let's go buy this new toy. Let's go get this new toy. Let's get the new toy. The mother's like, no, we got to do blah, blah, blah. We're like, ah, you told us we could sell our stuff and get something new. So she lamented and took us down to the toy store. We bought the toy. We went and started playing. We're just like happier than you, know, than you can imagine. And we were upstairs playing and I I came down because I I wanted something or needed something. And I saw her door was shut in her bedroom. I didn't understand why she never did that. And I kind of crept up on the door and I heard some muffled sounds coming from behind it. And I cracked the door open and looked in. And I saw in there my mother, like leaning down on the ground, kind of rocking herself back and forth, almost in the fetal position, just crying uncontrollably. And she was clutching in her hand these bills that she couldn't pay. And the whole reason she did the garage sale, I didn't know it at the time, was to pay the bills and realize that, okay, now my kids want these toys. She ended up buying the toys for her children because we talked her into it and then still couldn't pay the bills. So it was at that moment that I realized, okay, this is a problem. And this whole thing called money and wealth and having enough is an issue. And that was, for me, very pivotal in my life because that became the moment where I decided, I got to solve this. I got to find a way to fix it. And virtually everything that came to follow in terms of the definitional character aspects
0: of me uh, was really honed by that moment. Wow. Um- Now, you can't possibly have achieved the things you've achieved by focusing on the problem. And you've mentioned that word already or or challenge and it manifests itself in lots of different ways. What I'm really interested to coax from you, Bart, is that you set about getting yourself a really good education as a result of some of those challenges in early life. Whereas a lot of guests talk about education as important, but not necessarily uh, as a prerequisite to success. You've kind of approached it a different way. So, I'm, I, what I'm asking you is how important was your education uh, in achieving the things that you have? Because some people say, "We well, you know I'm dyslexic, or I had this particular challenge." And, and and whilst I'm driven, and whilst I'm very focused and determined, education wasn't a massive part of my of my life. It wasn't that important in vertical commerce. For you, it was. I'm I'm interested to understand two questions here. Really, one is. Uh, how important was education? How important do you think it is? And secondly, I'm also wanting to know why an 11 year old boy starts his, <laughs> starts his first business. There's people out there that are 31 and still thinking about their first business. And, uh, and by the age of 31, you've been doing it for 20 years. So what, what led to your first business as a result of some of those early experiences as well?
1: Sure. Yeah. And I think what we can do, if it's all right, just from a timeline perspective, I'll tackle them in the reverse order. Let's talk about the 11 year old experience and then what led to the education because they, they do more or less feather together. Uh, so, I would say desperation leads to innovation. And at the age of 11 years old, it was very clear to me that the only way I'd be able to create anything in my own life, <clears throat> whether it's through you know, getting a bicycle or going on a school field trip or being able to have shoes or clothes that fit, was to help solve the problem. And so rather than just be reliant upon somebody else to go out there and, and create uh, you know, money for me, because that was clearly an issue, I wanted to be part of the solution. So they at the age of 11, I couldn't go get a job legally. There was no way to hire me. You had to be 16 in the state that I was growing up. So I was like, well, I can't wait five years. Uh, so I, I came across a buddy of mine that actually had a lawnmower. And we decided that we were going to go... Mow lawns, and it was far better if we could both do that together and leverage each other's equipment. I didn't have any, uh, and versus going down the path of trying to do it independently. And this guy and I were, were really motivated to get money because we needed it. I ended up paying a lot of bills, uh, I ended up buying a lot of different things. Uh, my first car coming out of that, and a bunch of other stuff years later, but. We actually built a little bit of a, a fleet of uh, of lawn service personnel uh, in a very quick period of time. I had people that were working for me within that company before I was old enough to even look for a company, which was kind of funny. Uh, but yeah, we, we had all kinds of different success stories with that. And, and I think experience is often the best teacher in life. And there were things that we didn't know we couldn't do. And I think that really helped us. Like, for example... This guy that I partnered up with, he was older than me. And so he was able to drive sooner than I was able to drive. Uh, cause I was like the youngest kid in, in any class. Cause I was I, I started so early in school because my mother couldn't afford to keep me in daycare while she worked. So she got like a special exception to get this really young kid in a kindergarten. So I was always chronically behind everybody else in terms of age. This guy got his car, we went around printing out these flyers uh, on my grandfather's work printer. So we kind of used an asset that he had and an asset my friend had, and we went around putting them in all the mailboxes. And in the U.S., you can't actually interact with the mailbox unless you're a postal service worker. I didn't know that at the time. And we got this call from the, uh, the, the postmaster general for the area. And, of course, all of our names and numbers and everything was all over this thing. We had our own answering machine that was set up for the, the, the lawn business. And this guy called and we called him back. Both of us together. It was kind of intimidating. We didn't know what it was about the postal service calling us. And he goes, yeah, so I'm calling for Bart or Rob, which is my partner's name. And we're like, yeah, you've got both of us. Actually, we thought we'd call you back. And he goes, so I got this report that there's hundreds of different flyers that you'd put in mailboxes. And we were kids that were out there just trying to make a box. And we're like, yeah, you know, but that was only the ones we did like today. Last week we did more, which was kind of, we found out later a stupid thing to say. We didn't know. And he goes, yeah, so it turns out I have to charge you postage for every one of those that you put in. So how many did you do between the last two weekends? We're like, oh, uh, what? <laughs> he goes, yeah, because that's, that's like mailing a letter. And oh, by the way, that's not legal. You can't do that. And, he quickly caught on. We were a couple kids trying to make a living, and I think he was impressed when he kind of heard our story. Like, at least you guys are trying. So he let us off with a warning. We never did that again. But it was really the type of thing where we both needed money. We both needed to solve that problem, and and mowing lawns was an easy way to do it. And we started to learn very early about joint ventures, different creative deal flow, different strategy, uh, like how to pull people into your crew in a way that allowed you to do a revenue share and still make money. Uh, There was also a scenario where we traded out. We did work trade and and we actually learned tax mitigation at a very early age because we had this guy that, um, I was only like 15 maybe, but we negotiated this deal with this guy who was like the best sign creator in the whole area. And he's like, look, I've got this disaster property. It's a rental property. It's a complete mess. If you guys go in and fix it up, I will totally like make it worth your while. So we're like, yeah, we'll do it. So he made these awesome signs that were magnetic stickers with graphics, we were able to put on the side of all of our fleet of vehicles. Uh, and, and we were able to do that just by working off the, the effort. And he was saying, yeah, I don't want to like make money from you guys and pay taxes on that. I'd rather let's just swap it out. Completely new concept we'd never heard of. And I think that's, Part of what led to the importance of education question you'd asked, because what I found is that the data I got out of the education was not what was most important. Like to this day, I still use the Pythagorean theorem. Uh, It's kind of a random thing. I really liked math and, and that's useful in some cases. But beyond that, the vast majority of what I picked up in the education, I don't use today. But what I did use, and what I still think is instrumental, is the work ethic that came out of it. So when we were starting our own business, when we were growing up in that, we learned that you had to achieve in order to survive. And if you didn't do a good job, you got fired. And that was a phenomenal lesson to be learned. Um, and, and we always did a good job, or we always tried to, but you make mistakes. So you have to learn how to deal with that. And I think with education, it was the exact same way. I was a solid C student, didn't do anything with school other than just like phone it in, up until the point, I think I was in sixth or seventh grade. And at that point, I had some friends that were basically doing very well in school. And they, they came up with this idea of, of like, yeah, you know, the, the only way, this is back then, the only education we had around this, they were like, the way you succeed in life, the way you make money is you get a good education and then you get a good job. And that's the answer. You become a doctor or a lawyer or an executive of some kind. And I didn't have anybody in my family or unit that really knew what financial success looked like, or certainly not educating me on it. So I had no idea. My paradigm was not big enough to take that data. In. And as soon as they said that, I was like, really? That's the way it works? Like, yeah, all you got to do is get a great education then you can succeed. And I was like, well, shoot, that's the answer. Then that's what I'll do. It's like literally overnight, I started studying. I started paying attention because then I cared. And if you don't care, then you don't do it. But if you care, then it means something to you. And you'll, you'll focus on it. What you focus on improves. So I put focus on it and immediately went from like a C student to uh, pretty close to top of the class, went through and, and competed with two of my friends for, uh, we were all jockeying for like the, the top of our graduating class in terms of who does what, which university we'd go off to, et cetera. But even though I thought at the time that was the most important thing out there, uh, my paradigm continued to expand and it continued to shift. And the more your paradigm expands and shifts, the more success you're able to bring into your own life because the more you allow it. And it really is what I discovered, a mindset game and an action game, in the sense that what you focus on and what you really put emotion into and take action on, that is what you create. And whether you agree with that, believe in that or not, uh, that's the way it works. That's, you know, it <laughs> doesn't matter if you don't agree with me, that's the way it works. So if you do those things, you get the result. And that's what I really got out of out of the educational process is i surrounded myself with people that wanted to be very successful in school and you are the product of the five people you surround yourself with so whoever those people are within that matrix that's who you become so if you're looking right now on this podcast towards how do i create a better version of myself surround yourself with people that are idyllic in terms of what you want to achieve And just naturally, whether you want it to or not, you'll start to become more like that. It'll just happen because that's the way things work. So when I surrounded myself by these people that were far more successful than me, I was able to be challenged by that and step up. Almost like if you have two competitive athletes running against each other, the fastest version of themselves only comes out when they're competing with somebody else. And each of them are pushing each other to the limit. That's what you run into. And the same thing continued through, through college as well. Uh, but it really just allowed me to expand what I'd call my success cube uh, of my own paradigm of what I saw success as. And as that success cube expanded and grew, I became more confident and aware of what I could achieve. And then I just more readily stepped into it.
0: I love, I love the way you've articulated uh, your, your desire for education and that process. You used the words work ethic that it, that it created in your work ethic, which you know, clearly has, has now manifested itself in others. So now if we can, Bart, let's fast forward to, uh, to what you're doing now to help companies. Because in the introduction, there's going to be people listening going, hang on a minute, really this guy is, is helping other people to achieve extraordinary financial success oftentimes not spending any money. So if you would just explain to us, uh, you know, you're buying and selling businesses without using any of their own money, you know, cashless acquisitions, flipping businesses for a living, um, virtual mergers, uh, M&A, and all the other things that go with it. And then I know you uh, you sell companies using something you call the boost technique. So I know there's a lot of observations all in, all kind of wrapped up, but again, for the sake of time, Could you just briefly explain to us what you're doing typically with companies now using that technique and any others that you're adopting, uh, imparting all of that great knowledge and skill that you've acquired along the way to help others achieve success?
1: Yeah, absolutely. it's a broad topic. Let's go ahead and start with the concept of buying and selling businesses for a living. Because I think that captures a lot of what you're just describing there. And you've heard of people that flip real estate, they go in, they buy a house, they then turn around and do something to it and they flip it and they sell it for more. It's the exact same concept with businesses. And in terms of the best way to think about it, I'd like to just remind everybody there's a lot of creativity you can bring to any sale of any product. And I'll give a quick example of something that, uh, you know, that that's like an eBay example because that can be directly applied to buying and selling companies and I think it explains it well. So there's a product out there that is called the uh, the Hue Sync. It basically takes colored lights and synchronizes them with the color coming off of your television. So it's this really cool background effect where it blasts the color coming off your TV on your wall and it almost expands the TV experience into your living room with all these lights. But these things in the States cost like 230 bucks each. So... Most people will then take a look at that and say, all right, well, I've got a traditional way that I'm going to buy a product. And in your mind, also think a traditional way to buy a business. And the traditional way that someone might go buy a product is they'd say, all right, well, what's the price of the product? Is there any way I can negotiate that down? So it retails for $230. Could I get it for maybe $215 or something like that? I go and buy that and then I pay tax on it. And then I get the product in my home and I use it. That is a very traditional way to think about buying products. Uh, another way to go about it that, that I actually did, uh, and I used it as an example recently with some of the group that uh, I'm coaching on this stuff, is I went and just found a box. Uh, it was a lot of these things. And it was a lot of four. And the boxes were damaged. And so I ended up buying this box of uh, four of these sync devices, which I didn't need four, <laughs> but, but I bought them and essentially uh, paid, I think like uh, 650 or $670 for the lot of four. And then basically went and set up uh, lighting against it and got good pictures of these products and showed that they weren't damaged and actually tested them and said, yeah, everything's working in good shape. Only took a few minutes. And then went and posted those with a different way of actually representing the value of the product in a way that not even the manufacturer really went and represented as well as I felt our team could. Uh, And represented that out there. Ended up selling three out of the four for, um, I think it was like $640. So I ended up getting the fourth sync device With tax and everything included for like, I don't know what it was, like 30, 40 bucks maybe, brand new. And that is the exact same type of mentality you want to bring to buying and selling companies. And most people, when they think about buying and selling companies for a living, they think within one specific denomination of trade and that's currency. So for example, if I'm to buy your business, I'm going to buy it from you for cash. And the reality of what we found is that most of what we do with the groups we're working with buying and selling companies for a living. The currency we trade in is not cash. The currency we trade in primarily is creativity and pain removal, creativity and pain removal in that order. So what I would look at on the pain removal side is that every single business owner on the face of this planet, I don't, it doesn't matter which country you're in it doesn't matter size of the business, what industry it's in, there's pain. There's something that is a business owner you're missing out on. And and I know that. I mean, I've I've started myself nearly 30 companies. Uh, I've grown several from, you know, startups to like over $10 million. I've taken one from $8 million to over $75 million on the path to an exit, and one from twenty two million to over one hundred fifteen million on the path to an exit. And when you've run companies that are startups and you've run companies that are over $100 million, then you see a pretty wide gamut of all the different things that could happen. The different problems with staff, the problems with clients, revenue, payroll, drama in the office, different things that come up uh, from the standpoint of just people interacting with each other. And what I will tell you, the universal truth, you've always got problems. Doesn't matter how big the company is, small it is, successful it is, there's always a big issue. And so the question comes down to, Within somebody that's looking to sell their company, what's the biggest problem that they're facing right now? And is there something you or your team or partners that you're working with can do to help fix that more elegantly than anybody else? And if you can do that, that's a massive part of the negotiation that you're able to bring to the table to get the best outcome for not only that owner, but for yourself as well. Mm -hmm. And that's where the creativity comes in. Because now that you've said, all right, I've identified what we call the two to three biggest pain points, and you understand why those points are so painful, you can then pivot over to figure out within the arsenal of myself and my network, what's the greatest thing I've got in front of me to be able to solve that problem in the most creative way I can do it? Because if I can find the answer to that, then I can find a solution that's really beneficial for me, solves the person's pain on the other side of the equation, which is exactly what they want, and gets everybody what they're looking for. And all it really is, is just identification of those opportunities, stepping through a very specific and scientific formula. And then once you
0: solve the equation, just doing it over and over and over again. You mentioned earlier the group that you mentor. Is that the group that you refer to as your Spartans? Yeah, it's the Spartans Alliance. Okay. So how does does that work? Just very briefly, because I've got another couple of questions we need to squeeze in that are very important. But who are the Spartans?
1: Yeah, so um, we've been buying and selling companies for many years, and only here in the last six months have we opened it up to other folks that want to join us. Uh, and it was primarily because I had some folks I was working with on the M and A side that said, "Look, we we really just want to work with you as a partner. We want to find a way to take down these ventures together." So we opened up this program, and it's essentially a program where we go through and and teach everybody all of these techniques. But academia is not enough. That's not the answer in this industry. It's got to be experiential. So it's uh, it's a full contact sport. It's the type of thing where I basically give everybody, you know, just dozens and dozens of hours of live training on how to do what it is we're doing every day, and then go through and work side by side with them to take down these deals.
0: There's a lot of, uh, I, you know, this is a, a subject very close to my own heart because I studied it as part of my, uh, my educational process. And that's this whole thing around human psychology, whether it's human psychology in the sales process, uh, human interaction, buying and selling businesses. I know that um, you use these two words, uh, asymmetric negotiation, and the way that interrelates to human psychology in relation, specifically in your case. To, to deals. So uh, tell us a little bit about, about asymmetric negotiation, because that's a word or a couple of words that no one will have heard before. Um, but, but we'd love to know about what they mean, clearly. So just explain those to us for us, if you would.
1: Absolutely. Actually, you've hit on one of my favorite parts of the whole program. <laughs> it's like the asymmetric negotiation, because you're absolutely right. At the end of the day, people think about buying and selling businesses as transactional. And I really want to divorce that idea from from most of the people that are out there that are thinking about that today because it's really not. It's interaction just like you and I are having right now between people. At the end of the day, deals are done between individuals, not between corporations. And it makes it a bit more personal. It also makes it to where you want to care and you're incented to care about what's going on with the other person. So when you think about Uh, The term you just mentioned, asymmetric negotiation, what that means to us, it is literally negotiating in an asymmetric way. It's a non-traditional strategy. So most of the negotiation strategies that you will have heard about when it comes to buying and selling companies, uh, it would pertain to you've got a price for your business. And I'm going to come back and I'm going to offer you a different price than you want for your business. And we're going to haggle about that. We're going to beat each other over the head. And one of us is going to walk away feeling like, quote, the winner. And the other is going to walk away feeling like, oh man, I didn't get what I wanted, but I had to do the deal. And the reality is that you want to, in order to get the best result, approach that very differently than that traditional style. So go back to what I said earlier. We believe that doing deals is about pain removal as well as creativity. So if you were selling me a company and we were talking right now, instead of me going through and saying, well, what do you want for the company and how much is it, all that other stuff, i start off and go, what are your personal goals for going through and selling your company? And you'd go, well, you know, I'm thinking about, I wanna get some money out of this, I wanna do that. I mean, yeah, but why? Why is that important to you? And then question, why? We spend so much time on that question, why, and different ways to ask it and how to actually structure it. But it's key, it's fundamental, because if I ask you a what question, then that's going to engage the left side of your brain, which is very logical, center in your brain, and you're going to come up with a very scientific, granular answer. Like, what is your revenue? My revenue is $5 million a year. All right, do I really care about that? I do, because I'm trying to figure out a price point but that doesn't matter as to why you'd sell me the company. And it's a very left brain, isolated, limited question in terms of the responses I can get back. If I ask you a why question, now I've engaged the right side of your brain, the creative flow, that energy that's going to allow you to come up with literally infinite answers. And when I ask that, it, it's, it's going to go beyond my expectation if I do it right and follow the system. So I may come back and go, well, why do you want to sell your business. It seems like you got a good thing going. I'm like, yeah, I got a good thing going, but you know, I, I'm, I'm in a situation to where I've got to deal with all these different, you know, say your business is something where I mean, it's a podcast, right? <laughs> you know, you're like, yeah, I've got to deal with all these different people and these personalities, like this weird guy, Bart, who's coming on my show and who knows what he's going to come up with, with these why questions. But I've also got all these recordings I got to do and I got to keep up with it. I got to have the storage and I got to do the editing time. And people understand, it's like four hours of editing for like every five minutes of content and all this other stuff. And I'm like, wow, that, that sounds like there's a lot of pain there. You're like, yeah, yeah, that's quite a bit. I'm like, well, why is that so painful for you? And you're like, well, cause I'd rather spend time talking to people than go through and do all this recording imaginations and all this stuff. I'm like, gosh, well, why can't you hire somebody to do that? You're like, yeah, I, I guess I could, but you know, I, I really don't want to do this, that. And the other. Next thing you know, we start stepping through it. I walk away with an understanding of exactly who you are. And more so, I have an understanding of what's important to you. And I know when you're first looking in from the outside, looking in, you're going to be engaging from a very left-brain perspective, going, why is that important for buying and selling a company? I just need to know the price I what to pay. Like It's critical because maybe there's a way I can work with you in a non-money transaction scenario, which is what most of our program participants want to do, to be able to solve some real problems for you and find a way to get you what you need without that traditional strategy, without that traditional methodology. And, And here's the great thing about that is that when I really understand what's going on with the other person, where their pain is, why it's painful for them, and how I can best solve it, Something really magical takes place. The transaction gets done like a thousand times faster than any other competitive transaction. Mm. So, most of our groups, and this is on the M and A side of the space, but most of the groups and firms we compete with that do M and A, their transactions they look at take between nine and eighteen months, and they're doing it in a very traditional way, stepping through the process, doing all the right things that everybody taught them to do. But when we go through and do a transaction, we've gotten transactions done in six weeks. We've gotten them done in a couple months. We basically blow the doors off the competition by compressing it. And everybody may think, well, it's because you're cutting corners of some kind. It's really not. It's just that we understand what's going on with the other party. They understand what's going on with us. And we're negotiating in a very very asymmetric way. And it seems counterintuitive when you first get started with the process, but you find that by asking questions differently, going about the process in a way that's just a little bit counterintuitive to what we've all been taught, you get a far better result. You get it faster and you get the truth. And the truth is what allows you to move that transaction forward so fast. Mm.
0: I love it. I, if, if it's just as well I'm able to listen back to this podcast, Bart, because I don't think I could keep notes quickly enough. Um, and, I, and I think we might almost have to have a, a part two to this podcast because there's still uh, a gazillion questions I want to ask you, but unfortunately time is kind of against us. So I have two very quick things to ask you, if I may, as we as we wrap up. One is, how do we find out more about you? So if we want to check you out, if we want to engage you, if we want to tap into your amazing expertise and knowledge and experience, how do people connect with you? Are you a social media kind of guy? I you have a you have a website presence? How how do we find out? Have you written a book? How do we? How do we know about you?
1: Yeah, so I mean, the first thing I would say is that it's not about me at all. It's about the group. Uh, you know, we, we've got a, a good team put together, and it's about the collective uh, skill set of everybody, not just one individual. But we've got a website. We've just recently gone live with it, and anybody that's interested can check that out at sportsalliance That's www.SpartansAllianceWithAnS.com. And on there, you can check out some of the techniques, the strategies, we've got access to some free videos that are out there where you can go and see some of the techniques in action. You can learn about uh, some of our philosophies around money being the great enhancer, rather than a negative thing at all in any transaction or in your life in general. And we've got
0: links to our Facebook and LinkedIn off of that as well. Wow, great. And uh, final question. I'm I'm really not sure how you even begin to start answering this one because you you clearly are equipped with so many great nuggets, great words of wisdom, uh, experience, knowledge, which we've tried to cram into a very short space of time and and unfortunately probably not done you nearly enough justice. So forgive me for uh, limiting your time today, but but as I said, maybe we'll have a conversation about part two. The question that we ask all our guests really is, to, you know, if we, if we could package up all that amazing knowledge and experience—from you know those early days where you saw your mum, unfortunately, unable to pay the bills—to your first entrepreneurial venture at the age of eleven, to the educational program you kind of went through as as a way of building your work ethic, to all the experience that you've now garnered from working with so many organisations and individuals—if I was to come to you and say, okay if you could just drill that down into a couple of manageable sentences for me, you know, if there was a thing that I should put before anything else, what would that mantra, what would that, what would that uh, reason for being be uh, by word, by way of a few words of advice, if you could drill it down to a very short sentence or two? It's a
1: fantastic question.
0: I think the best answer I could offer
1: and it sounds a bit trite, but find a way to stop putting limits on yourself. Everybody I run into that wants to do this, the moment they have their big breakthrough is not only when they find a mentor to help them, so they don't have to go and figure this out on their own, but when they give themselves permission to do what they want to truly do and stop holding themselves back, stop limiting themselves. And I know that that seems academic in a way, but I'll give you a quick example. (laughs) Whenever anybody starts in and we're working with them, what I always tell them is that whether it's a large deal or a small deal, it's the same basic amount of effort. So go after the large deal where you can make the most amount of money because it's the same process the way we teach it. And nobody really, they believe me academically, but experientially it's hard for their mind to accept. So they put this governing body in themselves where they say, oh, well, I can only go after small companies or companies in trouble or companies that aren't making enough money because that's just that's, that's the right size for my success today. <laughs> well, what I can tell you is that after nine months we with that completely expands. It's just natural. And I'd love for everybody to give themselves permission to do that on day one. We've got somebody in the program right now where she had, when I first started working with her, She had said, Oh, I can only really go after these small little deals that are only making like 100, 200,000 in profit. And I was like, All right, well, if that's what you want to go after, we'll pursue it. And today, she's telling other people in the program, No, 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 you don't want to go after something that small because that's just not going to get you where you want to go fast enough. And she's going after right now a company doing $111 million in revenue. And that is the type of shift uh, you know, that, that you can take. And it's the same process. It's the same probability of taking down the deal. If you use the system, that's what people can do for themselves. And the only difference between where she was nine months ago and where she is today is that today, okay, she's learned a little more, but more importantly, she's given herself permission to step up and take on the big deal. She's allowed herself to expand that success cube to take that into her life.
0: Really, really good, Bart. Thank you so much for today. Uh, it's difficult to know how to go about thanking you. Um, clearly, you're a very busy man. Loads and loads and loads packed into a very short space of time. Uh, the words of wisdom will resonate with many, many people. And and today, the podcast wasn't just about a conversation with somebody who helps people to buy and sell businesses. Clearly, your you know your work ethic, your philosophies around uh, the the whole end to end process. And in particular, what I loved was. Uh, some of those things you, you've recognized in, in the human psyche, the way people operate, the things, the processes they have to go through in order to, to get to where they want to get to. And uh, I'm sure we'll be tapping into more of your wisdom in, in time to come, maybe, as I said, with a part two. But um, all that I can do rather humbly is thank you very much indeed for um, sharing so much and so openly with us today on the Sandro Forte podcast.
1: You've been fantastic. Uh, I would love to do that. And uh, I just have to say, I mean, with the amount of success you've had as fast as you did as well, being able to reach so many people over the last several years, I have to say it's, it's a true honor to have been here. Thank you. Well,
0: uh, down to people like you. So the, the thanks are all mine. Um, once again, Bart Rupert, thank you very much indeed.